Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily, it's a Monday. You know who the guest is. I don't need to build up some grandiose thing, but you can read his work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Melter, fresh from Flyers Fantasy Camp. How you doing, Billy? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. How was uh, how was the fantasy camp? Um, I know it was a class of 23 down at Penn and good group of guys. It, it, it's a great group of guys. Um, you know, the say it's not the same people every year, but I mean, there there have been some people who've done all eight camps. You know, every everybody has a, has a great time. The the games are really competitive. You know, and and it's just a great group of alumni coaches um, for the game. So uh, you know, every, everybody from Dave Poulin, um, Danny Briere, Bill Barber, um, Brad Marsh, Bob Kelly. Um, Let's see who else. Who else is? Uh, was, um, Watson's or, there. Uh, yeah, Joe. Joe was there this year, and Joe, being Joe, he's he's uh, coaching and skating through uh, through a hernia. <laughs> you know, that's Joe. <laughs> that's Joe. Yeah, you know, some things that, never change. Competitive as ever, and and I and I'd be remiss if uh, I didn't mention the air because Joe's right proud of it. His team is undefeated going to the finals tomorrow. So, but anyway, it's uh, it's it, it's all it's always a great time. Uh, four games today, two more games uh, on on Monday. Uh, we're recording this on, of course, on Sunday evening. So, uh, yeah, great time. I you know, I, it's uh, it's always a blast. And happy belated by a couple of days birthday to Jimmy Watson, who I believe just turned seventy. Jimmy just turned seventy. Yeah, he makes me feel makes me feel old. You know, Jimmy was a Jimmy was a very young player when I was a little kid, so, yeah, crazy. And, yeah, I mean, he still looks like, I mean, physical, like yeah. still on the ice all the time. See him at the rink every once in a while down at Aston at Iceworks and uh, great stuff and the alumni doing great work once again in the community. I'm trying to think, like, when you said some of those players, like, if I were to bring some of those players individually to my, my son's U16 midget team that I coach, what would I have each one of those guys teach? And I, right. I, I would bring Dave Pullen and I would teach, I'd have Dave Pullen talk to the kids about two things. One, obviously, about leadership, because he was such a great leader and a guy that commanded the room, wasn't the best player, but just was a great leader. And then the other thing I would talk to them about is about, and it comes with leadership. It's part of what he brought was, you know, the other element of penalty killing. Not a glorious thing you would do on the ice, but a necessary element to a winning team. Because I think Dave Pullen encapsulated both of those things incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, such a such a cerebral hockey player. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, Pulley was not a you know a natural playmaker. He didn't have the hardest shot by any means, but yeah. he wasn't you know, gifted. He, uh, <laughs> he was no, he wasn't gifted, but he was just he was just the smartest guy on the ice. I mean, he yeah. he won a Selkie Trophy. He had a 30 goal season early in his career. He was just he was just a winner through and through as a winner. And and you 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 talk about the leadership element too, you know, in the in the all time list of Flyers best captains, obviously Clarkie has to be first, and to me Dave Poole in the second. Yeah, and he dealt with obviously as the captain one of the most difficult things that any captain has to deal with, and that's the loss of a teammate in 1980. I want to say 85. Yeah, with Pelly Lindbergh. So, um, yeah, I mean, he'd be a great guy. I'd love to have him talk to my team. So, Pooley, if you're listening, 
uh, next time you're in the area, you can come out to the rink and be my guest and uh, we'll get you a jersey and everything. Um, but like a guy like Danny Briere, though, I think of too. And what I would want him to talk to young kids about. And then, frankly, I want to talk to Danny about it. And we have to some extent. But his ability on the biggest stage to raise the level of his game to a higher level. Uh, he was such a great playoff performer. He was always a really good player. Like he was a good regular season NHL player, but but he was a great postseason player. Yeah, you know, and and uh, whenever you know, sometimes small players get the knock that they can't come through in the playoffs, I was go to always go to Danny. So well, it's not a hundred percent because Danny Briere is one of the mm-hmm. all time best playoff performers I've ever seen. Yeah, he was he was amazing in the playoffs and just in, even in regular season big games when the lights were really bright and you needed it. He was there. He answered that bell. It's, I, I just always wonder what goes into the makeup of that. I remember watching a documentary, I think it was on Netflix, uh, about greatness. And, you know, Pele was in it, and Michael Jordan, and great athletes. Uh, I believe there was there was a tennis player in it, too, I want to say, maybe Serena Williams. And just, you know, what is the constant, what is the, the thing that all greatness players have? And I don't know what it is, but... I think a big element of it is that you got to be willing to work. You have to love the game that you play. Therefore you're willing to work at it more because you love even the element of practice. I think that's a big thing for great players. For sure. And, and, you know, one of the, uh, one of the coaches this year at the, the alumni camp is Mike Knubel and Knubel played with Joe Thornton. You know, he he played with uh, Peter Forsberg, of course, in, in Philly as part of the great line here. And, um, you know, and when he when he first came over to Detroit, Steve Eisenman was still there. Wow. Um, so, I mean, he, he he's seen a lot of this, this firsthand. And he was talking about that. He was talking about the the element of competitiveness in all situations. Those guys, you know, those guys would be the hardest workers at practice and always dedicated to, to being the best guy on the ice. And at any given time, wanting to be the difference maker, you know. Never, never shrinking back from that, and that's even a very different, different group of players that he played with. But all of the, the best ones, they all had that in common. What's well, a cross section of almost forty years of hockey, right there, too? Yeah. You go back to Iserman, to Thornton, who just obviously retired uh, this past year. Um, Bill, uh, World Juniors is over. Um, the play that Mason McTavish made, um, I mean, it's so unbelievable. You know, overtime, the Finns have a sure goal. And somehow, I mean, he's just reacting on instinct, but to react with that and then calmly sweep that puck off the goal line to not go in. I mean, have you ever yeah. seen anything like it in such a big no. game and situation? Jason, yeah, and that, that was that was the big talk of you know camp today. And, you know, not to drop a, drop a name here, but Mark Howe was saying, you know, you could do that. A hundred more times and 99 times that's going to bounce in. Yeah. You know, I mean, just, I mean, it was an amazing play, but there was an incredible amount of luck that was involved that didn't bounce in. It bounced yeah. on the line, but you know, and, and it just, it just, it just hit the, it just landed perfectly vertically. So it didn't bounce in. It was you know, just, just, I mean, it, it was crazy. We just had the presence of mind to bat it down like that. And then, you know, and then, and then the goal that Johnson scored to win it too. That was uh, yeah, you know, this is the way he stayed with it because it was a broken play. I mean, that was off his own rebound. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was amazing. I mean, that whole finish was just just you know from a from an entertainment standpoint, but from a sports standpoint too, it was just uh, just incredible for sure. You know, 
I was a little skeptical about the tournament at this time of year because, you know, guys haven't been playing, you know, usually when they play in December, you know, they're at the midway point of their season, yeah. wherever they're playing. Um, and that wasn't the case here. It was kind of starting everything off for them. But I got to say the level of play, the level of intrigue, the tournament delivered on all cylinders. And dare I say, it wouldn't be a bad idea to put this tournament at this time every year. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, like uh, I certainly, I'm certainly good with that. And and remember, you know, now it's different, but you know, when they would do the Canada Cup and World Cup of Hockey, that was yeah. late summer. So you know, you can you can have great hockey in, in in the summertime. And you know, I mean, I I just I always I always love the World Juniors anyway. You play play mid season, play in the summer. I just you know, I I, I just love that tournament. Yeah, one of the Flyers' prospects ended up on the uh, media all tournament team. And that's Emil Andre and Bill. He was um, spectacular throughout. It wasn't like just, it was a fast start. He built up some points and then cooled off. He just, he was effective throughout the, pretty much the entire tournament. What'd you see out of Andre? Yeah. The thing with Andre is, is he, he can make plays in, in tight spaces. And that, that's such a big thing in the game. Um, fearless. You know, he's, he's only about five foot nine, although he's, although he's a, you know, he's deceptively strong, a little like Kimo Tiemann in, in that regard, in that he, he's not tall at all, but, but he's stronger than, you know, he would look like just, just watching, you know, looking at him from a distance. Um, the way, the way he makes the first pass out of the zone, um, you know, which is such a big part of today's game, really, really good at that. Um, good stick on puck guy, good defender. I mean, you know, he's going to be at a physical disadvantage in, in certain matchups, but uh, I, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I saw in, in, in watching him. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be chemo teaming or whatever, but just, just that element of poise that he has and being a natural leader. I mean, he's been, he's been the captain of the Swedish national team in different age categories. You know, now the captain, the under 20 team before that, the under 18 team and the under 16 team. So he's he's been he's been a leader wherever you know at every level he's played at so far. Um, had a great year in in uh, the Swedish top minor league last year. So I think Andrea will be one year in the SHL and then in North America a year from now, most likely. Okay, so Bill he, he's going back to the SHL this year. He signed that contract cool. to go back, and the Flyers are fine with that with the way they develop over there, especially defensemen. I mean, the Swedes know how to develop the D-man blue liners. Um, would he be a guy that if he has a really good year, that could be a roster guy coming in for the next season for the Flyers? I, I think potentially. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the SHL is a, SHL is a quality league. That's a man's a league. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of the best leagues in Europe, one of the best leagues in the world, the, the good players in that league are, you know, at least of AHL caliber. Some guys have played in the NHL and whatever, but it's, yeah, I mean, he's uh He's, he's a legitimate prospect. You know, I, I you don't want to, you know, you don't know how he's going to do until he comes over and adjusts to the, adjusts to the smaller rink and, and all the all the usual adjustments coming over here. But I, I would say he has all the elements of being a starting defenseman in the NHL and a guy, a guy who can play some power play too. That's obviously yeah. I mean, four goals, four assists in seven games in the World Juniors this year was a plus six for the tournament. He is now 20 years of age. He won't be 21 until February 23rd, 2023. 
185 pounds. And of course, he was the second round draft choice in the 2020 NHL entry draft, 54th overall uh, by Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair. And, you know, Bill, that's one of the things, you know, I, I know that Flyer fans are upset and they don't like how this offseason has gone and they don't like where things have gone in the last two seasons after, you know, winning a, a playoff round against Montreal and then eventually losing in seven to the Islanders and things have gone really sideways organizationally. Um, but the one thing, even though they don't have a superstar or maybe even a star legit bonafide NHL star player, um, they do have a lot of players that are ticketed for the NHL. And that's the one thing they've done pretty well is draft pretty well, at least, as of this moment, we'll see how things continue to develop. But you look at guys like Andre, you look at guys like Tyson Forster, you look at a guy like Zade Wisdom, then you look at this draft with Cutter Gauthier and others, and you go, they may have a lot of guys. And I mean, Zamula and, you know, York, and you look at all the depth they have in the minors defensively, especially on that left side. And they've got a lot of pieces that could find their way to the NHL and be, you know, guys that make a career of it at the pro level, at the highest level. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, a big part of it is keeping keeping these kids healthy. I mean, the Flyers have just had a miserable, a miserable run in terms of prospect injuries. And, you know, and not, not little things either, things that keep guys out for, you know, three quarters of a season, a whole year in some cases. You know, and it, and it takes time for a player, a player coming off of that to get back to where he was before. Um you know, Tyson Forster, who had a, well, another guy who had a, a good World Juniors. You know, he had the shoulder injury last year in, in early November. And although he came back and went back to the OHL, he's really only getting back to himself now. You know, and, and it, it it just, it, it takes time. And you have, to, you have to be patient, you know, through through some of these growing pains and through some injuries. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of depth in terms of guys who can come in and be, contributing players, some guys who, uh, you know, some of them, I, I guess that there's a blessing in disguise. It's that some of these guys uh, are still are still somehow uh, waiver exempt because because of all the time they miss. Wade Allison being an example uh, yeah. of um, of a guy who still has, you know, if they were to send him down, they, they could send him down without having to worry about waivers just because of how much time he's missed. Now, hopefully, you know, hopefully a year, taking a year out, he's actually able to play and, you know, live up to some of that, that potential that he has. And other guys too, Lazinski and, you know, the, and, and guys such as that. Um, but, you know, they, they have a, guys who could potentially play a lot of different roles on the team. In some cases, some cases playing middle six kind of roles, you know, um, you know, now Tippett and Frost are 23 years old and, you know, they're not rookies anymore, but those are guys who those are guys who they're counting on now being contributing NHL players now. And you get some other guys. It, it rarely works out that everybody comes in and contributes, but if some of these guys can contribute or get back on a track that they seem to be on just a couple of years ago, then you're then you're a much deeper organization. And even if even if they're not superstars, even if they're not, you know, they're really top top end guys like the guys like Colorado has or whoever nonetheless you get you get them as young contributing NHL players and then you can add some pieces around that going forward and then all of a sudden you know then all of a sudden you're a much deeper hockey team and that's really that's really a, a realistic and a needed goal for where the Flyers you get to over the next year two years or whatever 
Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the players that they're really counting on to take another step is a guy that had surgery this offseason, kind of a surprise surgery, and that was Joe Farabee. Yep. I did see a picture uh, the other day of a couple of the guys on the ice, you know, in those kind of, you know, pre-camp workouts, guys getting out there and skating around with other high-end players and other players on their team. There was a guy in a Buffalo Sabres jersey, I believe. I'm not sure who yep. he was. Was was that actually Matias Samuelson? Was he out there? Uh, that's possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause since he's, I since think he's about before, it. Yeah. 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 Um, before, so. And he was tall. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but one of the guys that I saw out there at the group with York and all those guys was Joel Farabee on the ice. That's good to see. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, that was surprising. It's just don't, don't rush it back. You know, especially, especially the, the nature of the surgery he had, it's just, just something where, you know what, just, just rehab it properly. If, you, if it takes an extra few weeks, it takes you an extra few weeks. You know, Flyers have had, yeah, not, I mean, you know, not just the Flyers, but when players come back too soon, it just, it, it, it rarely ends well. So just, uh, just, just be smart about the rehab and, and come back when he's ready and, you know, and then roll forward, hopefully, and stay healthy. Yeah. Return to the lineup once, not three times because you came exactly. back too early. Exactly. And that's a big key, and, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, Bill, one of the other things, you know, in talking the other day on my, my Stick to Hockey Live show, I was talking about the five most compelling Flyers storylines heading into the season. And number one to me was five letters, T-O-R-T-S, John Tortorella. He's not going to skate a shift all year, though. But one of the ones I talked about was Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov because there's just a lot of conversation around those two. Uh, you know, Provorov and the chemistry that he'll – he'll have or won't have with Tony D'Angelo. How will that play out? Ryan Ellis, I know, still wants to to play this year. That came out this past week that he does want to get on the ice this season and play. We'll see if that happens. But, you know, Travis Sanheim is a guy heading into a UFA year. And, you know, over the past two seasons, we've seen a couple of players that were in similar situations, whether it be Scott Lawton, who they ended up extending, or even Rasmus Verstelainen, who they extended in lost seasons, and decided not to take uh, the equity of the the payday of getting some draft capital or young players and opted to sign the players. If they're in a similar situation this year, do you see that happening with Sanheim, especially in light of what they do have in the system on that left side? If York has a good season, looks like a guy that's poised to jump up to a second, you know, pairing guy, Zumula and other guys throughout the organization, you know, you have Adder on the right side as well, but, you know, you have some good depth there defensively. Is it a situation where you would see them maybe try and cash in on Sanheim a little bit more than they have in the past couple of years with other players? Well, possibly, possibly. You know, with Sanheim, he can play the right side too, um, although he's mm-hmm. played, played the left more. But you do have the option of if you need some help on the right side, he you know, he can do that with a, with a degree of comfort as well. Um you know, I you're probably I would say you're looking in the north of six million dollar cap hit range. So the uh, the Flyers need to plan if the, if that is the plan is to try to resign them. Of course, the player has I think to it's say a seven it. times six and a half. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, some some something along the something along those lines. I mean, it's uh, yeah that that sounds about right. Especially, you know, I mean he he plays a lot of minutes obviously, and he's still reasonably young but even though he was a power play guy at every other level he hasn't played much nhl power play mm-hmm. at least at this point in his career so that that keeps you out of that really 
crazy high range cap wise, but uh, but six yeah six six point two five six point five some some something those range that that sounds yeah. about right. Forty five um, million dollar deal. Yeah, yeah, and, and so uh, you know, uh, is Travis himself interested in signing? Um, you know, you you could get some capital back. I mean, he's he's big frame guy, really good skater. Um, has a good amount of experience for a guy who's still reasonably young. He eats, eats a ton of minutes, has a pretty good health record so far in his career. All those things add up to a player who there'd be a lot of interest in if they were to, you know, to make him available. Um, you know, we remember we came into this offseason talking a little bit about, about Provorov or Sandheim. Or can you have both over the long term? I don't know. I think that it's still that's still kind of a question mark as to yeah, how this is gonna, how, yeah, as to how this is all going to play out. But you know, I, I think the Flyers have their druthers right now. I think they'd like to extend them, but I think there's 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 a chance that 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 might be a guy who they might end up moving by the deadline. It it all depends. You know, it all depends on his thoughts, his agent's thoughts, and how the team plays too. Because at, at a certain point, you know, if you're you know, if you're uh, in a position of being you know, looking to do a certain amount of rebuilding, being a lottery team, those kind of things. And then you have to, you have to look at everything. And then one of the things is moving some veterans who draw, you know, who draw interest. I mean, it's just yeah. part of the game. And I get the notion of wanting to, to sign him and keep him too, because, you know, you're, you're trying to build a blue line core and he's still young. He can be here through a, a retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it, and still be very effective player when things do go well. And the, the look, if you if you do move on from him, then you're creating a value, you know, a variable of another question mark. And yeah. ultimately, when you go into an offseason professional sports, is you want to eliminate as many question marks as you have and be as focused as you can on the question marks you do have, so you don't have to accomplish a ton. And the, look, the lesser amount of question marks are the teams that are really good. And unfortunately, yeah. the Flyers come into this offseason still with a fair amount of, of a very good amount of question marks, whether that's the development of, you know, players like Konechny and Provorov and Sanheim, even to some extent after coming off his best season as an NHLer, you know, we look, we talked about Frost Tippett and, you know, Cates came in last year, looks really good. Can he duplicate that over 82 and be a really effective player for them? And then you look at obviously, you know, this team moving forward without Giroux, Couturier coming off back surgery, the insertion of Tody. I mean, there's a lot of question marks backup yeah, goaltender sure. with Sandstrom and, Troy Grosnick. I mean, there's a lot of question marks here and we'll start to get answers on those and not all of them will be positive answers. No, exactly. It, it, it uh, you know, it, it rarely works. It rarely works out that everything just magically falls in place, you know, and you know, we, you and I have talked uh, a lot about the goal of being harder to play against and what that actually means. You know, it's not just, not just fighting more. It, it's, it, it really, it's a lot of it is an attitude and a mentality. And that I think is, is going to be number one on John Tortorella's list of things he hopes to accomplish this year, whether wherever, wherever the team finishes, how much it, it, it may overachieve in a very tough division. It's really building something, not just for this year, but that you can sustain over the long, over the long haul. So, you know, it's not going to work out, as you said, most likely that every, every, every question mark is going to be answered in the affirmative. So 
you have to you have to be open to a variety of different possibilities, whether it's in the trade market, whether it's look, I mean, it's whether you know, yeah, and we have we have yet to see you know, like how will certain guys respond, how how they you know, everybody says they welcome being being coach, hard coaching or, or whatever you want to call it. It's different when it becomes reality, right? And and it's easy to say, harder to live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said, Jason. That's exactly right. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how they respond. But I mean, I I think that I think that what they try to establish early in camp and you know, uh, getting off to a decent start is absolutely critical. And, and if you know you. If you can ride it out for a while, then you know maybe you can have an overachieving year. And you know if the the wheels come off again, then you know then it's the, it's a very long process. You can't the team can ill afford a third straight year like the last couple of years have been. So yeah. Um, last thing, you know when I when I think about a team that's hard to play against, like I, the old like you said, like the old kind of meaning of that was the team that look if you were on top of them, they were going to beat you up, or they were just going to be so physical there were going to be you'd walk out of the building and you'd know you played them the night before in today's game I think a team that's hard to play against you know I think this is at all levels too I appreciate in coaching midget teams uh, is a team that at their worst relies on their system and their structure so they're that's always their baseline if like if you don't have your legs that night your hands aren't dialed in you at least have your system and your structure, so your your basement isn't down as far as it's been the last couple of years. Because at your worst, you still have structure, and that's a big thing. Because I think the last couple of years, when their structure and they didn't have it, they didn't have their game, and they didn't have it a lot. Their structure went away as well, and you saw them, you know, suffer losses like the nine nothing loss to the Rangers a couple of years ago in an 8-3 loss, like that 7-1 loss last year, that AV's last game against the Tampa Bay Lightning on that Sunday night, you know, because they abandoned their system and structure. And I don't think John Tortorella is going to stand for that. No. Which is why you won't see those lopsided affairs with near the same regularity. Uh, for sure. Even, even you know, in, in Columbus, even towards even towards the end, I mean, team, teams, you know, team was in games. You know, they'll they'll stay in games and you you may beat them, but you wouldn't blow them out very often, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that has, that has to be part of this. This team's going to lose some games. Every team's going to lose games, but I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're trying, they're trying to build something here and there, there are going to be losses along the way, but you know, there are, and and I'm not talking about, you know, so-called, uh, moral victories. I'm talking about building something. You, yep. you, if you, you know, learning, learning from your mistakes, learning from the games that, that don't go the way you want them to, but hanging in there, you know, feeling, feeling like, you know, Hey, if we get a break here or there, you know, and you have to make your own breaks. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're chalking it up to luck, but I'm saying that, you know, Hey, you know, you finish a play here or there, you, you get a big defensive kill, a big save. Then, then all of a sudden you're looking at, Hey, you know, we, we may have been outplayed in stretches in this game, but we're still in this. And there, there's an avenue to come away with points on that night. That's that's the kind of team you want to have out there on a consistent basis. Not you know not certain nights of the year, but more often than not. And and if they they're able to do that, then then it's a success. Yeah, I I remember back the 1920 season that 
that was a team that wasn't physical. That wasn't a team that bruised you the next day, but they were a team that was hard to play against because they, you know, they had tremendous depth in scoring. They had great structure and they didn't give you much. They frustrated you. That makes you difficult to play against because you start pressing. And like you said, you've said it before. I mean, they give up the least amount of shots in the NHL per game played that season. And a big reason why was that, you know, the structure didn't break down. So even when they didn't have their game, and maybe they didn't have their game, and a lot of those games were coming off a loss, Bill, but the structures what bailed them out and allowed them not to lose two games in a row. I think structure and system is so important for this team moving. I think it's important for every team, but for this team in particular, without being able to toss a couple of superstars over the boards that can just freelance and pound you in four goals in a game like uh, McDavid or you know those type of players. Without that, you've got to have that. That's how they have to move forward. No, no, no doubt. Totally agree. And they got the right coach for it as well, in my opinion. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, great stuff, as always, Bill. Late night recording for us. Um, good luck in uh, day two of the Flyers alumni fantasy camp. And we'll see if uh, Joe Watson's team can remain undefeated. I'm sure you'll be right about it as well. I fill it up at flyers.com, NHL.com, and hockeybuzz.com. Everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy the last week of August. We're getting closer to September, which means NHL hockey is not far off. Have a great Monday, and we'll talk to you Wednesday on a brand new Flyers Day. Oh,